Welcome to Proven and Probable. Today we're going to discuss a very, very important topic, and that is debt slavery. We're also going to discuss common sense, and more important, what actions you need to take to protect your family. But before we begin, I would appreciate if you click the subscribe button and click the bell. Now, on to today's interview. Welcome to Proven and Probable. I'm your host, Maurice Jackson. Joining us for a conversation is David Smith from my favorite newsletter, The Morgan Report. Mr. Smith, welcome to the show, sir. That's great to be here, Maurice. <laughs> what a delight to finally have you on the program, sir. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David, let's begin today's conversation with the financial state of America. What are your biggest concerns and why? Well, I have a bit of a laundry list, but I think they're all pretty important. I'd say the current state of our nation due to government overreach, financialization of the economy, which I read the other day was about 41% of gross domestic product, which basically involves shifting paper back and forth, debt creation, militarization of the police, excessive foreign adventures, and the great imbalance of wealth between Main Street and Wall Street. It's quite a list, unfortunately. It certainly is. And all, uh, respectively, are important and germane for today's conversation. How did America get to this point? We've been uh, in the process of this for several decades. And it's the reason that today most people have little trust in our core institutions. And that trust is not misplaced. The Constitution set up government to serve and be accountable to we, the people. Instead, it's been turned into us serving them. If America's in so much debt, where are we getting the resources to pay for stimulus programs? Literally out of thin air. The government prints more and more money, uh, either digitally or in print form, and the limit is unlimited, as people can see what's gone on here the last few months. There doesn't seem to be any, any limit to it, which costs the government almost nothing to do, by the way. But the cost is actually a long-term cost, and we're going to get into that here in a little bit further. Let me ask you this here, and this is a, a sensitive subject, but are American citizens becoming debt slaves? They really are. And I read something the other day that almost half of the people in the country, if they had a $500 or $500 expense come up that they hadn't planned on, they couldn't meet it. That is really, really sad in what's supposed to be the wealthiest nation on earth. You shared with me a couple of weeks ago that I should read a logical and practical book that addresses the aforementioned. Uh, what book am I referring to, sir? It's a thin book available on Amazon called Common Sense 2.0, written by an individual using the pen name of Thomas Paine. Uh, the original Thomas Paine, as your listeners probably know, authored a pamphlet in the same name at the start of the American Revolution. It inspired the patriots in 1776 to declare independence from Great Britain, paving the way for the Declaration of Independence, and it's still in print almost 250 years later. If you substitute the words U.S. government for British, it sounds a lot like what we're dealing with today. Common Sense 2.0, written by someone using the pen name Thomas Paine, is not a call to arms, and it's not written to start a revolution, except in the reader's thinking and willingness to take nonviolent action in order to hold our government accountable for its behavior. You know, that's so important to understand because when you read the book, it really begins at the individual level. And that's so, so often what we hear today is it's, it's at the top. And it actually begins here with the individual. We first must be empowered and understand 
what is taking place in the book really addresses it. And again, the, the title of the book is Common Sense 2.0, and it's a nonpartisan view. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. And it really ties the relationship between several industries that that industries and, and parties, I should say, that um, have created the situation that we're in, but you do not hear about it if you listen to the mainstream financial news networks. Can you expand on just some of the culprits that we're that, that I'm, uh, referencing here? Well, you know, one of the key things that the author mentions, and I've always been fascinated with this little story, and it's probably the most quoted uh, presidential farewell address in American history. It was put out by D Dwight D. Eisenhower in 1961 when he was leaving the presidency. Um, he wrote in the Part of what he wrote was, in the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. Now, Maurice, few people realize it, but Eisenhower, in an early draft with his brother Milton, originally phrased it as the military-industrial-congressional complex. But he dropped the term congressional when he actually put it into the final form because he said, quote, it's more than enough to take on the military and private industry. I couldn't take on Congress as well, end quote. And he warned against the merchants of death to dictate national policy, lest it turn in the U.S. into a garrison state destroying from within what you're trying to defend from without. Eight years earlier, in 1953, when Stalin died, Eisenhower said, quote, We pay for a single fighter with a half million bushels of wheat. We pay for a single destroyer with new homes that could have housed more than 8,000 people. This is not a way of life at all in any true sense. Under the cloud of threatening war, it is humanity hanging from a cross of iron, end quote. And you know, as it turned out, he was absolutely correct in how Congress, as a member of this unholy triumvirate, would become nothing more than a subservient handmaiden with all three groups extorting wealth from the rest of us. In reference to the military-industrial complex, one of the things that always concerns me is when I hear politicians discuss the defense budget. Because in my view, and I'm sure you may, I don't know how you feel about it, but we're not doing defense, we're doing offense. It absolutely is, you know, uh, I've read that the 9-11 attacks cost less than a million dollars to execute. And we have spent, by certain figures that I've seen lately, about $5 trillion in the Middle East and at homeland in order to counteract what we didn't figure out right the first time. And that, to me, is horrific. And the expenses don't just stop today. They go on for decades for the people that come back that have health issues, that have missing limbs uh, that, that, you know, that need to be taken care of for the rest of their lives. It just goes on and on, and it's so, it was so unnecessary. You know, it's one thing to go to, to Afghanistan for a month and break a few things and leave, but to stay there for 19 years when we knew all along our policies were not working, let alone in, in, in Syria and in uh, Iraq, is, is just immorality of the basis kind. The Lockheed Martin F-35 has at least one contractor in the districts of over 470 congressmen. This was a quote from, from, from Common Sense. And so that, that no matter how uh, it, in, unable that com, uh, plane is to ever carry out the mission, which so far it seems to be unable to do, it's going to go on and on and on. And uh, it, that's, that's emblematic 
of the problem that we have. When something doesn't work because so many people depend upon it for their congressional vote, they just keep voting funds, not to, me not to mention whether or not it could ever work. Very sad. You know, you and I had a discussion prior to this uh, interview, and we should have recorded it, actually. <laughs> but uh, we were talking about uh, Congress and their ability to have a a privilege that you and I don't have. And we were discussing insider trading, and that's just a small example. But can can you kind of uh, just share that, that conversation we were having about the, the extension that uh, – or, or liberties that they have that we don't have? And the Constitution basically states that we're all created equal. But if you and I were to do some of the actions that members in Congress do, we go to prison, yet they have the ability to profit. Now, I always find it interesting, if you did a, a research study on everyone that's in Congress, there's a commonality that they have irrespective of their party, is that they're usually millionaires, yet their salary that they receive is nowhere near that. So the question should become, where does that discretionary income come from? And no one seems to care. Well, it comes from a number of sources. Part of it is peddling influence where uh, there's something going on in our culture today for, with most of the major uh, businesses called regulatory capture. So you have an organization of government that's supposed to regulate like the FDA or, or you know, the uh, a number of other agencies, EPA. And often they are doing the bidding of the people they're supposed to regulate. And they do this not just out of the, uh, the uniqueness of their heart, because very often they'll go to work for them after they get out of Congress and they get a fat check uh, for the work that they've done while they were in Congress rather than serving we the people. Another thing they do, and this was actually this year, but it's not something that happened years ago, as we moved into this massive crisis with the COVID-19 virus and the economy fell off a cliff, some of the members of Congress, at least three or four that were made public, have actually sold or bought companies that they knew would be influenced by government policy announcements that were going to be made in the near future. They were on committees or they had access to inside information and they made literally millions of dollars in their own accounts by doing something that you and I would go to jail for if we made a couple hundred dollars acting on inside information. They were able to do this uh, without apology. Uh, that goes well beyond uh, what anyone else could or should be able to do. In addition, uh, oftentimes when Congress writes a law such as the Obamacare Act, they wrote themselves out of it so that they were not beholden to the dictates of that act, but the rest of us, um, you know, whether we liked it or not, had to participate. And that's the sort of thing that rubs people the wrong way, and it should. You know, it, sh it should, and that's a discussion we had as well. And unfortunately, it seems to fall on deaf ears. If we look at the situation we have currently, as of this recording, we have protests um, because of Mr. Floyd. We have COVID-19. But there are no protests for the dialogue that we're having right now. And the dialogue is for everyone to understand debt slavery. That is, that is a powerful word. That is a, a, a title that is basically placed on each and every one of us. And we seem to be just sitting dormant with 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 uh, no, you know, no. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, impunity. I mean, we, we are simply allowing these things to happen. And if you don't have a discussion about it, and even better than that, you have to have an understanding about it. And that's what Common Sense 2.0 is, is addressing. So I appreciate you bringing that book to my attention. It's uh, again, the author is Thomas Paine. 
Yes, and you know, it's a pseudonym for someone that's a concerned citizen, someone who's obviously very well informed, and not just someone, we'll get into this a little later, who states all the problems, which he or she does, you know, very effectively, but also solutions, some of which I feel are very, very profound and workable. And you know, the, the, like you were mentioning, the term debt slave is exactly the metaphor and the terminology that should be used, because when you are so far in debt, that you have no resources to afford something coming up that might cost a few hundred dollars you hadn't planned on that could throw you into a financial panic something is wrong you know this is not this is not a country where the average wage per day is uh, thirty dollars a month i mean this this is just stunning that we have allowed ourselves to get into this and part of it it's not so much that people have spent themselves into debt they've done some of that themselves but they've allowed the government the people that were elected to represent them to do things and, and formulate policies that manifestly do not work and take us deeper and deeper down that road towards uh, financial slavery. And the consequences on this are a loss of freedom, loss of opportunity, loss of the ability to control our destiny and shape our future and that of our families, and ultimately the loss of self-respect. And all of those elements are directly in play today because of what's gone on by our government uh, over the last few decades. So that in 2008, we really could have turned things around if we had let nature take its course. But they bailed out uh, the financial houses, not only in the U.S., but overseas. And everybody that created the moral hazard got bailed out, uh, except for Main Street. And now this is just 2008 on steroids, and I feel so sad for the hundreds of thousands of businesses across the land who are not going to be able to get back to anything normal. In fact, there are many of them are going to go out of business while the people that created this issue are wealthier than they ever were by an order of magnitude. It just isn't right. Sorry for the interruption, folks, but I do want to share with you, if you're looking to purchase a copy of Common Sense 2.0, you can find it in the description box below. Myself nor Mr. Smith receive any type of financial consideration for you purchasing a copy. Also, if you're looking to purchase physical precious metals, again, you'll find those contact details in the description box below. Now, back to the interview. If you study monetary history, you can tie where the money turns into currency and then there is a degradation of the morals in that society and then the empires crumble that's repeated throughout history and unfortunately on our watch we're seeing that happen right here right now uh you know i, I just shake my head because i'm i'm a proud father and i want my the very best for my family and i believe i'm positioning myself and my family for the very best but my concern is for the person that is not listening that doesn't uh expose themselves to this information they're exposed to whatever the media is showing, whatever ESPN is showing, or a, a, a television network is showing, and they're not focused on what they should be focused on. So I appreciate you coming on today to, to shed some light on this for us. Uh, speaking of common sense, how does owning physical precious metals fit into this discussion? Well, precious metals, in more ways than one, uh, one of the things about precious metals, and people don't often think about this, is that especially gold and silver, they're actually money. They've been money for thousands of years. Uh, fiat money, fiat currency we should call it, is paper money that is printed and we, we believe it has value as long as, as we have confidence in it. But every time in history, and David Morgan has shown this conclusively and others have as well, every currency 
that was ever printed, every paper money from the time the Chinese first got the idea right on through the day, the money, the purchasing power of that fiat currency has always gone to zero. And our own money in our pocket, which we think still has a lot of value, if you look at the 1913 when the Federal Reserve Act was put into play, the purchasing power now compared to then is about two cents, probably less. And even since the 1960s, which many of us can remember, that $20 bill that you had that you had in your pocket in 1960, it would buy $100 worth of product today. So that $20 bill has, has lost 80% of its purchasing power just since 1960. Uh, it's really, really sad, and not too many people understand this. And the problem is, inflation is a policy of the government. They actually come out and say, "We want to inflate the currency by two or three percent a year." They're telling you in plain terms, which most people don't understand because they don't know what inflation is and what it does. We want to devalue the money in your pocket by three or four cents every year, and it really is a lot worse than that. That's just the stated amount. It's very pernicious because it's it's then you factor in taxes. <laughs> it's a, it it's it goes well beyond the small fractional number that you believe it is because again you have to consider compound interest as well, and um, and that's what's so pernicious what you said about taxes. So let's say you make a certain profit on the stock that you have. Well, part of that profit is inflated. And so you pay, a, you, you didn't really make anything on that portion of it, but you are taxed on the whole thing. You're taxed, part of the tax is on a phantom profit. So it's, it's adding insult to injury, exactly what you were implying. You know, with regards to physical precious metals and someone that's new to the conversation, the question is always asked, how much should I have? And we're not here to provide financial advice, but in your opinion, how much of an allocation should someone consider to their portfolio with regards to precious metals? Well, this is really, as you kind of mentioned, it's, it's really entirely dependent on the individual, their goals, their time frame and outlook and their financial resources and their willingness to learn about the issues uh, that are going on. But the, the figure that is often bandied about is around 5 or 10%, although in my view, that number, given where we are in the cycle, should be higher. But I think, I think a person that can, can place 10% of their liquid assets into gold and silver you know, buying it at, a, at a hopefully a decent price without a huge premium, although premiums have been high lately, and putting it away safely and using it as an insurance policy that can help against the degradation of their other assets due to inflation and to uh, crises in the markets, some of which we're seeing as we talk. May I ask you this? Which precious metal are you buying right now and why? Well, you know, uh, gold and silver, gold and physical silver, I think, are the two most important metals to have access to and uh, and it, it's really powerful if you have them in hand so to speak in other words rather than buying an allocated portion of a in a bank where your name is is on a piece of paper but you could never go get it and it's it's really mixed in with everybody else a commingled account or buying an ETF that claims to have it uh, if you have some that you can put away and uh, you don't tell people about it you put it in a bank box you put it in a hole in the ground you maybe have a little bit of the home in a, in a place that only you know where it is. Um, you know, this type of a thing, that's, that's the way to go about it. Those are the two most reliable because they've always been money. Some people like palladium and platinum, but gold and silver have always been considered money going back 5,000 years. And so that, those are the two really that, that make the most sense in my view.
Moving on to resource stocks, give us your take, uh, your outlook, I should say, on precious metals, and then also, if you would, the base metals. Well, the base metals are a little more problematic because they're affected and priced by the vagaries of the economy, uh, this type of a thing. And so uh, I think there's a kind of a, a bit of a disconnect going forward unless we get into a hyperinflationary situation or a very strong global economy, which I don't see happening anytime soon, base metals are going to lag in terms of appreciation. It's not to say that there won't be companies that do well that make a big discovery. I think copper probably is one that because it's, it's already in a bit of a deficit that will be relatively strong regardless of, of how strong the economy is over the intermediate term and the longer term. And also more and more copper is being used in electronic uh, devices and cars and whatnot. But gold and silver are in a class by themselves because they're driven also, you know, not just by the supply-demand considerations, which they're influenced a lot by investment demand, but also because of the grade and the uh, numbers of new discoveries and the amount of time it takes to develop a mine have gotten longer and longer and the grades lower and lower. And so this, there's this gap between what's being taken out of the ground and what is available in relationship to uh, demand. And those, I believe, are going to drive gold and silver much higher in relation to base metals on a percentage basis going forward over the next three to five years at least. Mr. Smith, I'm going to ask you a question that I get asked several times. Or is Should I buy the mining stocks first or should I get the precious metals? In other words, should I get a gold uh, company or should I get gold? Let me phrase that the way David Morgan always does, and I'm totally on the same page with him on this. He always counsels his subscribers to buy the metal first. Get yourself some metal and put it away in a secure place, and then if you have extra money and if you're willing to accept the extra risks, which by definition go along with mining stocks, then do some involvement in that. And when you look at the mining stocks, you know, focus on the seniors because they have less risk or on royalty companies that are well run, um, have maybe a few juniors. The juniors will probably appreciate on a percentage basis much more uh, powerfully over the next few years than will the seniors. I mean, if you're looking at a company that's selling for $60 today, the odds of it going to 240 are possible, but not so much likely as a, a mining stock that is producing today that maybe costs $2 it could go to $10 very easily. And so that percentage thing is there. You're accepting a little bit more risk and then maybe look at one or two exploration plays that you've researched carefully and you're comfortable with management and country risk and, and the value of the deposit and this sort of thing and, and, and you know, layer that out. But that's your lottery ticket. Those are very responsible words, by the way, because I always hear someone say this that's new. I'm going to first go into the mining stocks get this high return, and then, after that happens, then I'm going to get to physical precious metals. And my words to them are, just as you shared, I interview and have an opportunity and a relationship with some of the most serially successful people, and they've studied serially successful people in their own right, and they implement the opposite philosophy. But someone new, for some reason, wants to take that quick approach. And so I really appreciate the, the uh, responsible words there. Are there any companies that have your attention right now and why? I'd just like to make one little comment on what you just said. You know, that person is always operating under uh, poor advice 
uh, to try to do the mining companies first. And that, if we were having this conversation 20 years ago, it would be that way. But where we are now with the, the financial crises that we have going on and the demand by central banks and individuals for gold, they if they were to do what you what he was suggesting, he might do very well on the mining stocks over the next year or two, but find himself unable to buy gold and silver at anything like the prices that exist currently. And so that that's kind of a double reason why not to turn that, that idea on its head, in addition to what you just stated. Yeah, well, I'll take it one step further. So if we go back uh, to March, I received a huge influx, of course, from a number of individuals that want to purchase physical precious metals. And their biggest complaint was the premiums. When you have a market condition that will support mining companies at a high level, as you just referred to, Yes, I can only imagine now what the premiums will be for the physical precious metal. Because remember, the mining companies, you're not owning the metal. It's more or less a derivative of the metal in, in some regards. So, again, very responsible words. So, I'm sorry, were there any companies that have your attention at the moment that uh, you'd like to share with us? I could give you a few. And what I'd like to do, Maurice, is to preface my answer by saying that the stocks that I mentioned are in the spirit of looking over my shoulder. They appear appeal to me. I hold most of them. I fully understand their stories and I'm willing to accept the risks and there are always risks that owning companies in this sector involves. They have a tendency to appreciate more rapidly than the metal, although they have not done so in recent years, but I think that's changing. Uh, but, but that's because they involve greater risks. So readers need to perform their own due diligence and see if any of them fit their financial situation, their risk profile, their goals, and their time frame. So having said that, I, these are some that I like and hold. Um, I very much like and hold shares in Alexco Resources. It's up in the Yukon, the Kino Hill area. First Majestic Silver in Mexico. Endeavor Silver, which I regard also in Mexico as a turnaround to reaching earlier high performance status play. Novo Resources in Australia. Irving Resources in Japan. And Great Bear Resources in the Red Lake area of Ontario. And I also very much like a new one that we have researched called Amanika Mining, which uh, is likely to be soon producing in Canada's Caribou District. And as a final mention, and this one I'm, I'm not, I'm just starting to look into, but it is intriguing and I want to look further, but this one is called Metallic Minerals and it's up in Yukon's Kino Hill area, not too far from Alexco. I haven't taken a position yet, but I like their business plan. I like the fact that they're in an area that hosts, hosts extremely high-grade silver deposits, and especially the fact that they put out for acquisition by others a couple of royalty properties. And as you know, exploration companies don't generally have revenue until they develop something or sell it. So if Metallic can get one or two streams going, that would provide income to help offset their burn rate during the exploration. So I'll be looking more deeply into that one. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, sir. In closing... What keeps you up at night that we don't know about? I'll tell you, the horrifying and sickening video of the cop pressing his leg against George Floyd's neck leading to his death is a stark metaphor of what we're facing today for most Americans, regardless of skin color, age, or social status. If we allow the government's systemic oppression to continue pressing against our necks, then how much better than George Floyd is our own collective fate going to be? Over the next few years, the people listening to your shows and reading your work will have the potential to make very large 
profits from the metals and miners as the precious bull run goes higher. But if we don't get down to business and adopt some of the solutions that Thomas Paine lays out so clearly and forcefully in Common Sense 2.0, being correct about the markets isn't going to make up for the other things that won't be going right in their lives. So my advice is to get this book and read it several times. It's only 100 pages long. Think deeply about what it has to say and then ask yourself, how can I play a part in the positive solutions Common Sense 2.0 lays out? You know, there's a saying down in Texas about people who are not what they pretend to be. It goes, he's all hat and no cattle. Well, in my considered opinion, this Thomas Paine writer, whoever he or she is, with this little Common Sense 2.0 book, proves that he's all cattle. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better. You know, just to share with someone, uh, you know, the, the labor intent to put into this, uh, it's, it's not much time. I would feel comfortable giving this to an eighth grader. And their horizons will expand beyond their peers because then they can look at other information that they're exposed to on a regular basis and to, to actually be able to question it properly, think it through, and realize the bovine feces that they're being presented uh, because they're not presented with the right information. And again, you've referenced the book several times here. Uh, again, Common Sense 2.0. Last question, sir. What did I forget to ask? Before I mention that, I don't want to leave this point you just made, Maurice, and that is I learned after as many years in the public school system and then later online instructing at the university level and high school level is that uh, a, a, a person who really knows what they're talking about should be able to explain their uh, value proposition and their argument in ways that will be understandable to someone of any age. So that eighth grader or even someone in the third grade should be able to understand an argument that is being made as well as someone in an Ivy League university, uh, the type of things that Thomas Paine here is talking about. And I believe that that author has successfully done that, and it shows a great grasp of the issues and the ability to communicate that information to people of all different age levels. In answer to your question, what did I forget to ask? Let me say this, uh, you might ask me if I'm an optimist, which I am. In spite of all that seems to be going wrong in the world today, I believe that if enough people in our country come to understand the real reasons behind our disease, literally which means a lack of being at ease, and decide to do something about it, then we can turn things around and create a future for our children and our grandchildren that they can grow and flourish in. And for my money, this little book that we've been talking about, 2.0 Common Sense, is a Rosetta Stone for getting the job done in a way we can all look back on and be proud of that we were willing to step up to the plate and tackle. You know, Winston Churchill famously said that, quote, Americans always do the right thing after they've tried everything else, end quote. So this time, let's prove Winston Churchill wrong and stop doing things that don't work right now. Thomas Paine has the solutions you need to accomplish it. And one of the things he mentions is using a gold and silver-based coin, which would have the same denomination in any country in the world and have a certain number of grams or gold and silver in it. And that idea alone is worth the price of the book and absolutely blew me away when I read it. So that he saved the best for last, and that's in there well stated. It's, in, it's ingenious. <laughs> All right. Well, sir, how can someone find out more about your work? 
Well, I work with David Morgan of the Morgan Report. I've been working with him for almost two decades now. And you know, the Morgan Report is not the largest subscriber based in the field, but it's read by investors of all experience levels as well as large trading funds. Most of our subscribers have been with us for years. Each month we deliver information and perspectives designed to enable our readers to add to their own knowledge base and make good decisions. The TMR asset allocation tables help subscribers put together a risk-based portfolio that works for them as this historic gold, silver, and mining share bull run gathers stream. David has profiled more exploration plays that went on to become producing mines than any other letter we know of. His monthly editorials are worth the subscription price alone, and he has a free letter. And for any of this, just go to themorganreport.com. Hands down, as I shared earlier, it is my favorite uh, newsletter, period. And it's not about, uh, you referenced quality and quantity. Uh, forget quantity. It's about quality. The quality work there and the education that you see receive, the commentary on it, it's it's astounding. You can't beat the price. And I, in reference to price, by the way, uh, something we didn't share and someone may be under the impression, we do not benefit from you purchasing Common Sense 2.0. I just want to make sure that we're clear on that. That is just a book that we're referencing that we have enjoyed and we've benefited from and we believe that you will benefit from. That is absolutely correct, Maurice. You know, I, I ordered that uh, from uh, Amazon when I saw it. I got it in the mail, you know, uh, on my own dime. And uh, the, the, if, if, if people read this and if enough people read it to make a difference, that'll be payment in my bank account, my uh, financial bank account of doing good things that will be more beneficial than any check that somebody could write to me. Mr. Smith, it's been quite a delight to finally have you in our program. We wish you the absolute best, and thank you for joining us today on Proven and Probable. And you're entirely welcome, and the pleasure has been mine. <laughs> thank you, sir. And as a reminder, I'm a licensed representative for Miles Franklin Precious Metals Investments. We have a number of options to expand your precious metals portfolio from physical delivery, offshore depositories, and precious metal IRAs. Give me a call at 855 505-1900 or you may email maurice at milesfranklin.com Finally, please subscribe to Proven and Probable where we provide mining insights and bullion sales. Subscription is free. The information presented on Proven and Probable is provided for educational and informational purposes only without any express or implied warranty of any kind including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial advisor.